This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was at my, um, my nephew's Little League game, and he's at that age right now where like, they're no longer doing the coach pitch and what they do is after coach pitch, they go into a pitching machine before they go kid pitch. And for whatever reason, that's how they do it. And could you imagine the transition from coach pitch into pitching machine? I mean, it's like a, a big jump up in speed of the ball. And uh, as, I'm, as I'm watching, the kids are having a fun time with it. Um, but the people having the hardest time with it are the, are the little catchers. Because you know, they're back there, and they got to catch that ball when the batter's missed. And everybody missed that night. And uh, like almost two kids hit the ball at the whole evening. So uh, you get the idea that they were struggling with this. But, you know, the ball's coming at them fast. And those poor little catchers, they would sometimes miss. And it would hit their hand the wrong way or hit him in the leg or hit him in the knee. And, of course, they're just still little kids. So they start to cry. And then from the stands, you hear the sage fatherly medical advice that is heard over ball fields all over the world. Uh, and what's, what's the advice that dads tend to give kids in, in, that, in that time? Walk it, off. walk it off. That's right. Just walk it off, son. Walk it off. No, just pick up your finger. Just walk it off. You'll be fine. You'll be all right. Well, we're talking about church hurt. And uh, I think that if we're honest, um, it feels like this is kind of what we hear about how to handle church hurt in the church. Like, like if you were to come to church leadership and you were to begin talking about the hurt you've experienced, what you end up getting normally is people want to ignore that church church actually happens or they want to downplay it or they want to pretend it's not real or whatever. And though they would never say walk it off, it's kind of like how you feel. Like I'm just supposed to get over it. I'm just supposed to keep going. I'm just supposed to walk it off. But we don't want to do that with the church hurt that you've experienced. Because church hurt is real, and church hurt is deep, and it's painful. And I don't think God's advice from his word is to walk it off. I've been saying from the beginning of this series that God doesn't hide the fact that there's going to be hurt in the church. When you look at the book of Acts, you have the Acts 2. Yeah, they were awesome. They rocked in Acts 2, but by Acts 5, there's already trouble. In Acts 6, there's big trouble. And then you got persecution, and then there's, there's, there's massive debate and, and church splits and difficulty right from the beginning. But along with that, now listen to me now, along with that, God in his word, I believe, has given us instruction in what to do with the hurt. He's told us how we handle the church hurt. And so for the next kind of two weeks, we're really going to lean in on this and kind of answer the question, I've been hurt, I've been hurt, now what? I've been hurt, now what do I do? And I, I want to I say this. Here's the, this is going to be the big idea for two weeks. And I want you to kind of own this and, and live this with me. And, and here's what it is. I will handle my church hurt God's way. This is a big deal. This is a big statement because we're going to talk about what that actually means and looks like. And it may not be as easy as just saying this statement. But here's the statement. And I want you to say this with me, if you will, please. I will handle my church hurt God's way. We'll do it one more time so we can get everyone involved. I will handle my church hurt God's way. It's not just knowing what the Bible says to do with it. Look at me now. Come on, I want to see your eyeballs. It's not just knowing what the Bible says you should do about it, because that's the easy part. Bible knowledge, Bible learning, 
is the easy part. The hard part is Bible obedience. So it's not just learning, okay, this is what I should do, but then it's taking the hard steps to actually do it. And I want to help. Now, uh, we, um, and I say we because it's Adam and I, I'm preaching this Sunday, Adam will be preaching next Sunday, and then, then you get the, the best of it all, and Drew follows up on the third, talking about what do I do when my leaders fail? That's a tough one. Um, but uh, so for, for the next two weeks, Adam will be preaching next Sunday. He'll be following up. But Adam and I really are relying heavily upon a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. You guys remember this book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy? It is one of the best books, well, probably the best book on biblical conflict resolution and how to handle kind of church hurt, though it's not quite called that. And uh, there's some really, really good principles. And what Ken Sandy does, he's a lawyer and a Bible scholar, and he's kind of taken some biblical principles and he's put them into real easy, uh, uh, easy to remember and very helpful steps. So I'm going to cover two of those steps today. Glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, and there's your two Gs. And then Adam will come back next week and cover uh, the next two uh, steps in that. So kind of a two-part message here, but biblical principles that we really hope will help you. So let's, let's, let's talk about this first kind of step. I've been hurt, now what? I've been hurt, I've experienced the pain, now what do I do? Well, here's the first thing you need to do. Number one, write it down, glorify God. That's what you need to do, glorify God. That's what I do. And if you've been attending this church for any amount of time and sitting under my preaching for any amount of time, that's not going to be a big shock and a surprise to you. Because how often do I say that we were created for the glory of God? That's why you exist. That's why your body works. That's why God has put you here to bring God glory. Now, sometimes, though, can we be honest? Like, that advice is really hard to hear. Really, Pastor? Like, I've just been hurt? And the first thing you tell me to do, the first step in all of this is to glorify God. Sometimes it's just hard to hear that, you know, kind of like this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Is that verse true? If you believe it's true, say amen. It, how many of us want to hear that moments after hearing our mom has cancer? I mean, it's true. It's true. But to pull someone aside, hey, your mom has cancer. Well, guess what? God's going to work this out for her good and your good. Well, how about if I punch you in the face? Will God work that out for your good and my good? There's a timing to all of this. And I want to teach you a little something. This is um, uh, my friend and counselor who uh, I go to when I'm struggling and frustrated. With, uh, he's, he's taught me this with Courtney because I, I, sometimes I need this. Like, Guys, just admit it, like when we hear trouble, the first thing we want to do is what? Fix it. You guys know this. We want to fix it. But here's what we do instead. Here, the difficulty comes. Hey, my mom has cancer. We're going to go, oh, man. I'm just so sorry. Try that with me, would you? Take, take your hand and just, just do this. Come on, come on, come on. Everyone just together. And just bring it down from your face. Oh, man, say it. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. And that's it. That's it. For a season. Tracking with me? If you remember when we started this whole thing about church hurt, the first step I told you to take is to lament. And there, there's a biblical process that believers are unaware of, or at least we don't really interact with it all that much. We're going to be sprinkling this teaching in, and we might do a whole series. We're kind of debating about that still. But the reality is we need some time to lament. And, and sometimes we as a church, the reaction we need to have, let's do it together again. Here's the reaction we need to have. Oh, man. I'm so sorry. 
Come on, do it again. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. All right, you got it. But we say here often, here it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. And yes, there's a time to lament, and yes, there's a time to, but there is a time to get to the Romans 8.28 because it's still true. Can I get a witness? There is a time when we have to begin to turn our perspective a little bit off of the hurt and off of us and onto the bigger picture of what God is doing. Perspective change is a big, big deal. I wear, a, I wear glasses. I've been wearing these glasses now, I think, for three years. Like, I didn't need them until I got into my early 40s. Then all of a sudden, I needed them. And if anyone who's over 40 probably has experienced this, like your, your retina or the, whatever the, the part of your eye that focuses on close-up things just hardened. And so, like, literally, like right now, this, I can't see my notes. So my notes look like a big, fat blur to me right now. So if I have on, like, the wrong lenses, if I have on the wrong glasses, and I'll wear these awesome aviators. Come on now. Um, <laughs> these are the ones I, I wore to the Harveys, so if you missed the Harveys, you missed uh, the epic outfit. But, um, uh, you know, like this, th- this is horrible for me. Like, it's dark, and, and I can't see anything, and, and, if, and if this is my perspective all the time, uh, I'm going to be limping along in life. But, but if I can get the right lens on, if I can get the right perspective going, then all of a sudden, oh, it's clear, and now I can see better. And what we often need is a perspective change. We need, we need a new way of looking at things. So let me, let me talk to you a little bit about um, a, a right view. And I want to cover two things here, a right view. And, and first of all, when we're going through difficulty and, and hardship and hurt, in order to get to the glorified God part, okay, in order to get there, first of all, we need to have a right view of self. So write that down, a right view of self. A right view of self. And I'm going to kind of cover that in two kind of sections. First of all, n- know... Your typical response to hurt, like, like all of us have a gut reaction, a, a knee-jerk reaction to hurt, right? So you get hurt, boom, what do you do? Someone says something to you that's painful, what do you do? What's your first reaction? What are you, what's your tendencies? Uh, boy, you guys are just eager to answer, and a lot of that was attack from the people who tend to attack. Now, from those of you who tend to run, you didn't say anything, <laughs> Because there's kind of like a, there's a, there's a slope here. There, I'm going to show this picture. This is from the book uh, Peacemaker. That was really, really helpful. Uh, it's called The Slippery Slope of Conflict. And on the one side, you see we have these attack responses, which are some of you who are very vocal a few moments ago. And uh, uh, this is where we tend to go. We want to attack. We want to fight back. We want to go. But for some of us, we tend to the other side. And what we tend to is not the attack, but the escape. And we want to run, we want to go from the, now I want to say to you, both the attack response and the escape response are sinful responses. Well, prove that to me biblically, Pastor. Well, I will. From the book of Ephesians, here's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now, I'll put up on the screen for you. Here's Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the kind which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And what does it say here? Now, Now, look at this bearing with one another in love. Read that with me. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Do you see how that will absolutely negate 
the knee-jerk reaction to escape. I'm not allowed to just escape when I have conflict because, because that's not bearing with. That's not eager to maintain the unity. That, that's running for my own sake. So, so that response of escape is a sinful response. Now, at the end of Ephesians 4, you have this uh, set of verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So, so back on the other side, the anger side, the attack side, we're not allowed to have anger and wrath and malice. That word malice means that you're intentionally doing something to hurt somebody else. That's a sinful response. So if you would put that slope back up there for me, Angela. So you have on the one side, again, the escape responses about this is what we tend to do and the attack responses. And, and what we have in the middle then are these biblical peacemaking responses. Things like overlooking a offense. And uh, on the editing room floor this week was a whole section on when to overlook and when not to overlook. Let me just do this really quickly. Uh, the end of forgiveness is I am no longer holding it against you I'm no longer bringing it up against your account, right? So if Aaron sinned against me, again, what are you guys always sinning against me for? Like, what do I do to you guys? It's just terrible. So, but, but it, could, you, could you sit right there and you're really convenient for me to use as an illustration. You'll be in the back next Sunday. But, um, but if they sinned against me uh, um, and, and we finally worked through it and we came to forgiveness, real biblical forgiveness is I'm never going to bring that up against them again. That's real biblical forgiveness. Now, if I can do that in my heart, in love, and get to that same spot in love, well, then, then, then I can overlook the offense. Does that make sense? There's a lot on that. But overlooking, reconciliation, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, uh, these are all kind of biblical responses. And so you kind of know where you tend to land. Where do you tend to land? What do you tend to do? So first of all, in this knowing yourself, a right view of self, know your response. And then I'll also say this about that. You can write this down as well. Uh, know your rank in the hurt. Know your response to hurt, but know your rank in the hurt. And here's what I mean about that. This is going to be shocking to some of you, especially in the culture in which we live. But here we go. I want you to say this with me. I'm going to put it on the screen. Say it with me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Come on, say it. It's not about me. That's hard in a moment of hurt. And, and we tend, we tend, okay, let me ask you this. If your life was a movie, who would be the main character of your movie? Lynn? I'm the main character of my movie, baby. It's all about Jamie. Now, sure, I have my goofy sidekicks along the way, you know, and, and other characters that add, you know, fun and excitement to it. But, but, but I'm, I'm the star, baby. It's all about me. And we, we tend to view life and we're very egocentric in our view of life. But in reality, why were you created again? For the glory of God. And I pray that if in the life, in the movie of Jamie that the central character that's glorified and lifted up, the hero of the story, will be Jesus Christ and be God. So if I'm going to have, if I'm going to glorify him, i got to have this right view of myself when I just realize it's not about me. It's not about me. Now that will help you when you get to this, not just a right view of self, but also a right view of hurt, a right view of hurt. 
All right, you have heard. And for this, we're going to go to our 1 Corinthians passage. So be sure you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It was awesome that Ollie quoted this verse this morning because he didn't know, but uh, it's a real central verse what we're talking about today. Um, let's talk a little bit about the church in Corinth. Nice, healthy church. They had problems. Like you begin to read the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians and in chapter 3, Paul rebukes them for their jealousy and their factions. And some were saying, I'm of Paul. And some were saying, I'm of Apollos. And there were issues in that church through jealousy, Paul identifies in chapter 3. In chapter 5, he's rebuking them for how they're handling sexual immorality in the church. They're not doing that right. So there's problems there. And there's issues all along the way. And really, chapters 8, 9, and 10, there's this big dispute in the church about whether you could eat the meat offered to idols. And so Paul goes into this long explanation through chapters 8, 9, and 10 to explain, look, look, the whole point is don't be offensive to somebody. And if eating the meat is going to offend somebody, then don't eat. Or if not, eating the meat is going to offend somebody, then eat. And then we get to the verse that Ollie quoted. Do you guys know it? Say it with me. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now we know the verse but looking at it in context sheds an amazing light. You think about the whole context of the book of 1 Corinthians leading to verse number 31. And then here you have it. Again, so whether you eat or drink, I'm reading verse 31, but I'm going to keep reading. So follow along in your Bibles now. So here's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Follow along with me. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, underline this next phrase, not seeking my own advantage. Underline that. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is not natural to us. We don't, we don't do this right. Scott, come here. Dale, come here. If Dale offends Scott, who is Scott naturally thinking about? Come on, say it out loud. Not Dale. He's thinking of Scott. He's thinking of himself. It is totally not natural. For him to say instead, because this is Paul now, like Paul is being accused, there's all kinds of frustration, and Paul said, you know how I handle this? I don't think about myself. It's not about me. Oh. And then Paul, <laughs> Scott then thinks about Dale, and Scott then thinks about the church as a whole. You know, the church is impacted by the hurt. Thank you, guys. It, it's, just, it's just, here's what it is. He's trying to be like Jesus Christ. Look again at verse number 1 of chapter 11. Be imitators of me. Read the rest with me. As I am of Christ. He's trying to be like Jesus. Jesus who experienced the worst church hurt in history. And what was his perspective? What was his mentality? Here's Philippians 2, 7 through 8. I'll put it on the screen for you. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus put himself aside in the midst of hurt. This is tough. Because here's, here's what I'm saying to you right now. 
Have you been hurt in the church? Have you experienced church pain? What I'm saying to you right now is in the midst of that, yes, man, I'm sorry we got that. I'm sorry for that pain. I am. But to heal from it now, to handle it God's way, we have to say it's not about me. And though I'm hurting right now, there's something bigger at play. And that bigger thing is proclaiming who God is to the world around me. Here's here's the massive perspective change that we need, and this is huge. If we can put this on, here's here's the change that we need from the old way of looking at our hurt to the new helpful way of looking at our hurt. It's this. Conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, put others first, and to grow to be like Jesus. Conflict is an opportunity. What? An opportunity? I hate conflict. Can I get a witness? I hate being slandered and I hate being gossiped about. It's happened to me several times. You know, as a pastor, just kind of in that unique position that you're up in front, people know who you are, and it just, it just comes with a territory that people will, will gossip and slander, and I've had it plenty of times, and it hurts every time, and every time I get defensive, I get, ugh. And, and I need a moment, but after that moment, I need to say, look, this is an opportunity to glorify God, to put others first, and to grow to be more like Jesus. Now, to do that, I'm going to give you several things that are going to be very God-centered. I love this quote from the peacemaker. Here's this quote. Every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think of God. (laughs) Isn't that awesome and challenging? I'm going to show it. I'm going to show it. So here's some things that we can do to bring God glory in the church hurt. Write these down. One, uh, we can bring uh, God glory by trusting God. We can bring God glory by trusting God. By trusting God. If you believe God is sovereign, say amen. If you believe God is good, say amen. So when we talk about sovereignty, do you, do you like actually mean like real sovereignty? Like actually in control of every event that happens in your life? Do you really believe that? And do you really believe that he is good? in those events, those moments of your life that are hurtful and difficulty and difficult and bring difficulty. I think um, our tendency in that moment is to say, why me, God? Why me? And, And what we need to do to bring God glory through the conflict is we need to just trust in his promises. Here's some awesome promises. Here's Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am what? With you always. God is with me in my pain. God is with me in this conflict. And I have to trust that. I, I shared this verse earlier, uh, and let, let me unpack it fully Romans 8 28 and 29. There's an awesome promise in this. As you, and we know, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, by the way, we don't need to wonder what that purpose is. 
I even heard it this week a pastor saying this, like, well, that, that purpose will become clear maybe in the eternity. No, the purpose is in the text. For those whom we foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his son. The purpose of this difficulty is to make you more like Jesus. And like I said earlier, Jesus experienced some of the greatest church hurt in all of history. Here's an opportunity. I got to cling to that promise, man. Through this difficulty, I got to trust God. He's going to make me more like Jesus. Again, another quote from Peacemaker that I thought was really good. As you trust in the Lord in these unnatural ways, people will have the, the opportunity to see that God is real and praise his name for his work in your life. It brings him glory. So we bring him glory by trusting God. Write this down as well, by obeying God, by obeying God. Here's a verse from John 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so proof to be my disciples. The word fruit in the Bible simply means anything good that is produced in the branches as a result of being attached to the vine. That's what that means. So give me some of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, all is in there. We get them all. Getting close to them all. Self-control is in there. As I walk in obedience to those things, even in the midst of people hurting me, what does that say about what I believe about my God? See, it's going to come to the surface. It's going to become real to people. What I really believe will come to the surface in the heat of life. And as I obey him and walk in obedience, it says something about what I believe about him. I mean, think about you being hurt and then you obeying this Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 passage. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Like, we're not doing That's what the world does. That's what everybody does. But instead, we're going to walk in obedience and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. What does that say about what you believe about God if you walk in obedience to those things? It brings him glory. See, we say that phrase, we're here to bring God glory, we're here to, but what does it actually mean? It means you are telling the world how great your God is. So look at me for a minute here. I love how that song ends. I'm going to botch it right now because I didn't plan on doing this. The, but it ends that tell the world of the treasure you found, right? That's why we just saying that. Tell the world of the treasure you found. How do you tell the world? How do you do it? Hey, I'm Jamie. Uh, you're cutting my hair. Just, you know, cut my hair. And uh, hey, by the way, uh, you're going to hell and uh, you need Jesus. <laughs> She's got scissors near my head, okay? <laughs> I'm probably not going to go there. And, and we're praying right now as a pastoral team, like how to unpack this idea of living missionally and help us all walk in that. Even that phrase is just overused in today's society. What does it actually mean? But here's what it means, really. Like I am here to tell the world of the treasure I found in Jesus Christ. And I do that all kinds of ways. And when I'm walking in obedience in the midst of hurt, it is saying something about what I believe about God. And then lastly, this. This is so good. Imitate God. Imitating God by imitating God. Ephesians 5.1 says this. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I love that. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Imitate God. When you hurt God by your sin, what was God's reaction to you? Jesus spoke of it when he taught about the prodigal son. Think about the prodigal son for a moment this morning. Think about how hurt the father must have been. His son, young son, coming to him and saying, Dad, I, when you die, I'm going to get a lot of money. And I really don't want to sit around and wait for that. Like, it's too bad you're not dead yet so I can get that money. But is there any way I can, like, get it now and leave your house and kind of be on my own? And the dad, he had to, like, sell off, like, liquidate some assets, like, get some cash free and give the son all this money. And then what does the son do with that? It blows it on sinful living. How would you feel if you're the father? How hurt would you be? Your son, daughter, did that to you. But the father, when the son comes back, what does he do? Runs to him and kisses him and pours grace onto his life. He doesn't deserve that. No, he doesn't. And that's exactly what the other son said, which is what the parable is really about, by the way, showing the Pharisees how ridiculous their self-righteous attitude was. But no, he didn't deserve it. But this is what Jesus did. And this is what we're called to do in the midst of our hurt, to be like God, patient, gracious, loving, self-sacrificial. All right, here's, here's what we're after. I told you this is not going to be easy. To, easier said than done. But here's the big idea of the day. I had to say it. I will handle my church hurt God's way. Say it again with me. I will handle my church hurt God's way. And it's going to mean a massive perspective change. Because now instead of like, okay, it's all about me and my hurt. No, no, no. It's all about God's glory. And I'm going to commit to bringing him glory. Here are some questions that if you're in a small group, you're going to unpack this week. And if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you again, get in a small group. Preaching, I love to preach. I love to preach. But I realize that really getting these things into your life means you've got to get people in your life with you, doing life with you to help you with this. So here's some questions you guys are going to be working through. Do you tend to view conflict as an opportunity to glorify God? Is that your tendency? What may change in your attitude if you did? What may change in your actions if you did? What am I going through right now that needs a perspective change? Like, think about having having to answer that question and walk through that. It's going to be helpful to you. Will I pray for God's help me to to see my conflict this way, to see my church hurt this way? Step one, glorify God. Let's, let's, um, pretty easy, right, so far? (laughs) I'd like to say it gets easier, but it it doesn't. Here's number two. Uh, Get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. Kind of sounds familiar, right? Matthew 7. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 
our um, Matthew chapter 7 in your Bibles, our tendency when hurt, um, I'll get Doug and Scott again. Guys, come here for a second. Uh, so Scott was hurt by Doug, is that, or not Doug, uh, Dale. <laughs> so Scott was hurt by Dale, right? Scott was hurt by Dale. It is very then natural for Scott to see this very black and white. Who's on the good white side? Scott is in his mind. And who's the black villain now? Dale. I got the mustache and all for it, man. She grow that out and do a little handlebar thing. Man, that would look awesome. Would you like that, Lynn? A little handlebar mustache? You would love that. I knew you would. You've got to do it. You're bound to it. That's right. Scripture says. (laughs) But um, we tend to do this. Now, all of a sudden, he's a villain. He's bad. Don't we do this? When people hurt us, we vilify them right away. And they are bad, bad, bad. And nothing they can do is good. You know, it's falling back into the, the trap of like a fairy tale. Like there's a good side and a bad side. And I'm the little fairy princess. And this is the evil... Godmother, whatever it is, stepmother. Got weird. It just didn't it? <laughs> didn't it? This is what happens when I don't put the stuff in my notes, you know, when I just freeform. It's not a good idea. But thank you guys. Have a seat. Um, but, but, but think it, honestly, like, go back to the last time you had, like, conflict in your life, and didn't you do that? Didn't you do that in your own head? Like, you made that guy the bad guy. I know I do this. And, and sometimes my wife and I do this together. Talked about gossip last week, right? You can go back and listen if you need some more conviction on that one. Um, it, it's, it's never that black and white in terms of I'm all good, they're all evil. You tracking with me? Never that, never that. Doesn't the gospel itself tell you that probably you sinned in all of this somewhere along the way? The gospel says we are all sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. Chances are in this conflict I'm looking at, I had some part. So my question needs to be, where do I need to repent first? Ouch. That's tough. But it's biblical. And I'm going to show that to you by taking you through Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is uh, from a sermon that Jesus preached. Isn't that cool? It's like Jesus preaching a sermon. Imagine going to church and hearing the Lord Jesus Christ preach a message I want to be in that audience. Can I get a witness? And we have it recorded for us in the inspired, infallible, sufficient, perfect word of God. And here's Matthew 7, verse number 1. Judge not that you be not judged. By the way, it's a favorite verse of many people who want to tell you to stop judging them. We'll get to that in a minute. But judge not that you might not be judged for... With the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure that you use, we measure to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not take notice of the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, hold on. This is not saying what a lot of people say it's saying. They will use this verse to say, hey, you can't judge me. And and we can't judge one another. After all, you got your own junk in your own eyes. So the Bible tells you not to judge. No, it's not what it says. It says to judge rightly. 
And judging rightly means I get myself right with God first. And I do what I need to first. And I remove the speck out of my eye first. It's a command to, and we need to, because verse number five comes back and says, then you will see clearly to help your brother out. Like we need to have the spirit of helping one another out to live for the glory of God. But when we do that, we can start, we should start with confession. We should start with confession. Yeah, but they were really wrong, like really, really wrong. Okay, they may have been really, really wrong, but you were some wrong. Again, you're a sinner. You probably sinned somewhere along the way. So if it's 90%, 10%, dude, own your 10%. And you might be amazed at what God will do. Beth was ready. Mary had hurt her and hurt her badly, and Beth had lined out all the ways Mary was in the wrong. And Beth and her husband John had sat down and discussed it, and they were ready, if needs be, to file litigation against Mary. So uh, Beth steeled her her resolve and sat down to confront Mary about it, and she was shocked to see Mary in tears. And before Beth could say a word, Mary's confession flooded from her lips. She specifically mentioned what she had sinned against Beth and against John, and more importantly, against God. Mary resolved to do all she could to make things right and to fix what she had broken. And then she asked for Beth and John's forgiveness. And Beth was stunned, but also exceedingly touched. Mary's confession wasn't perfect, but her genuine brokenness was evident. And before she knew it, she was reaching out to hug Mary and confessing her sin and her wrongdoings in the situation. Starting with genuine, heartfelt confession is a powerful thing. Humility is Christ-like. And the gospel is clear and shown in her humble confession. Now, in all of this, there are some good tips in the peacemaker and how to make this work. And I'm going to have the worship team come if you can right now as I share these seven things. Seven kind of A's the book gives to really make this... uh, um, good, uh, good confession. And so we'll just cover them quickly. We want to address everyone involved. Probably easy to say that uh, your confession needs to go as far as the hurt. So whoever you wronged, that's who you need to confess to. And uh, don't miss God in all of that. Uh, confess first to him and then to others. Number two, avoid if, but, and maybe. Don't excuse it. Don't downplay it. Don't blame shift it. Well, if you didn't do this and I wouldn't, Well, I did do this, but don't do any of that. Number three, admit specifically. Here's exactly, not generally, I'm sorry that you got hurt. I'm I'm sorry you got mad. That's not, specific is when I did this, it was wrong. When I said that about you, it was sin. Admit specifically. Number four, um, acknowledge the hurt. I, I know that when I said that, it was painful for you. And I'm sorry it was painful for you. Please forgive me. Acknowledge the hurt, number four. Uh, number five, accept the consequences. Accept the consequences. This is really big. Yeah, the Bible in Second Corinthians 7 talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And godly sorrow is one that just says, you know what? I, I know. That should be accept the consequences, not accept the hurt. I, I typed that wrong on the screen. It's my bad. Accept the, the consequences, not the hurt. 
uh, and that is, I'm just going to, whatever it is, man, whatever it is, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And if, whatever it means, I'm sorry. And number six, really important, alter your behavior. Like, there should be life change. There should be life change. Like, like I, if I'm really, really sorry, but I'm, I'm dealing with this on several counselees right now in the counseling room where they're really struggling with something, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm saying, and, and they're coming and confessing things, but I'm telling them, you know what? Repentance has fruit. And if it's real, we're going to see the change. And then lastly, number seven, really important, ask for forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? And then this, allow time. Is it biblical that they should forgive you? Forgive as Christ, uh, God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, right? So it's biblical. They should forgive you. But is it easy to forgive someone when they approach you badly? And sometimes you just need to, in love, allow them time to work through it. Allow them time to get there. And, and, and that, that, that should help. Okay. A couple of big things today we talked about. Huge things. Glorify God. Like, really? I'm hurt right now. And, and what I need to do is to change my perspective and get my eyes off of me and eyes onto this opportunity to show the world what I really believe about God. When it's easy, it's easy to obey. <laughs> when it's hard, it's hard to obey, and it shows what I really believe about my God. That's hard. And secondly, then, to, to come with confession, to get the log out and confess our sin. And maybe this morning you'd have to admit, you know, I need some help with this. Uh, I'm not glorifying God in what I'm facing right now, and I need help. I, 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 maybe like as I'm preaching right now, a conviction is landing on your heart about something you need to confess to somebody. I, I've been there. I know how that feels. I, I, trust me when I say confession will, will bring grace flooding into your life. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but those who confess and forsake will find mercy. And if you're here right now, what you might need to do is just offer a prayer up to God to say, God, I just need your help right now. I just need your help in taking the steps. What do you need to do coming out of today's message? What steps do you need to take? What perspective do you need to change? What confession do you need to make? What we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing the song, Lord, I need you again. And we're going to sing it as a prayer specifically about this thing we need to do. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word. And church hurt is hard because church hurt really hurts. But Lord, you've not left us without instruction. You've given us your word to teach us the attitude, the mindset, the spirit, the actions of what we should do when we experience this kind of church hurt. And God, I see clearly what your word says about I'm for your glory. It's not about me. It's about you and proclaiming you. So use my church hurt for your glory. There's some in this room that need to pray for that. They need to pray that prayer to you and release that to you this morning. And to cry out to you for a perspective change, Father, would you lay on their heart that need and lead them to do that. And there's some in this room, Father, that might need to confess to somebody. And I pray, Father, that as we even sing this and ask for your help, that you would give them your help just to do the right thing, to make that step, Father. And we're going to trust you with that. And Father, if there is church hurt, Lord, we, we cried out to the healer in our singing before God. We're asking for the healer's help. Would you be our healer? And would you heal the hurt that we feel as we walk in obedience and handle this your way? We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.